again, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day, Grandmother's Day, Great Grandmother's Day, Foster Mother's Day, Dog Mother's Day. I think I've covered everyone so far that I've met. I want you to know how much, what's that? Stepmother's Day. I want you to know how much I appreciate your role as, as moms, and not only me, but I think God has empowered you with a unique voice within your home, within your culture. And I think that um, I want to make sure you feel empowered and honored as you use that voice, not only within your home, but within your church, uh, but within your culture and community as well. I also know that Mother's Day is a day where lots of people come to church, uh, the, to this church with their moms that ordinarily aren't here. So let me catch you up on where we are. We are in the middle of a study through the Old Testament book of Malachi. At the very beginning of the book of Malachi, it's described as being an oracle of the word of God. An oracle means it uses to describe a weighty message, something that is deep in the heart of God, something that has been building up in his soul that he wants to communicate to his people. The first part of his message was that he has always loved his people. He has always loved you. He loved his people from the very beginning when he chose Israel. When he chose Abraham, as he guided them through the desert, as he forgave them in the midst of their adultery in the promised land, even when they were in the midst of judgment and captivity, God loved them. Even at the times of their worst, God's love was at his best. But after God communicates his love, he turns his attention from himself onto his people. He says, after all the love of I have given you, where is the love that you're supposed to be giving me? After all the love that I have poured to you, where is the love that you owe me? And he began with his church, with his priests, with the religious leaders. If anyone should have known about the love of God and how to show their love in return, it would be his religious leaders, it would be his priests. He called them to be the, the givers of truth, the models of righteousness. But instead of those things, they spread false truths and they modeled sin and idolatry instead. And after he spoke to his religious leaders, now God turns his attention to his people. And he starts going towards his people and he wants them to know he doesn't address their politics. He doesn't approach their Sunday school attendance. He doesn't talk to them about their cultural influence. The first thing he mentions when he talks to his people is their home. There's two institutions designed by God to be a reflection of his glory. That's his church, and that's marriage. God, in the midst of this oracle, this weighty message for his people, first he talks to his religious leaders and confronts them about their failure, but now he turns his attention towards his people and he doesn't address their struggles in culture. He doesn't address their giving records. He addresses their marriage. If you want to have some insight 
into why things are so, why marriage is so important to God. I'm going to ask you, let's, we're still going to be in the Old Testament, but we're going to start in the book of Genesis. It's a little easier to find than Malachi. So if you will, join me in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, we're in the midst, still in the midst of God's creation, so to speak, and, and this is where God is addressing Adam. It's a powerful passage, and one, when we go through the creation order, we go through the creation passage, we tend to skip over this portion. But I want to draw your attention to it, because I think it not only shows something important about God, but it adds color and purpose to our message in Malachi. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says this, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone, I will make him a helper suitable for him. At the very beginning, God gives the garden to Adam, and Adam, cultivate it, manage it. But at the end of that passage, we see an interesting comment of God. It's not good for man to be alone. All of a sudden, we begin to see a plan of God building. Look at verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. Huge biblical but, but for Adam. There's not found a helper suitable for him. We tend to gloss over this portion. Here's Adam. He's doing his job. He's doing his work. He's doing what God gave him. God said it's not good for him to be alone. Adam is doing it by himself. And as he's doing his work, suddenly Adam realizes, I'm by myself. There's no one for me. Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. He took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned, handcrafted into a, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked or not ashamed. Right there in Genesis 2, marriage was established. Right there in Genesis 2, God creates this plan at the very beginning. When he forms wife, or when he forms Eve, the wife, he doesn't form her out of dirt like everyone else. It says she did not come from the head. She took, came from the rib. She didn't come from the head, so she didn't think she was superior. It was said she didn't come from his foot, so she didn't think she was beneath him. She came from his side, from the part nearest his heart, so she would know her rightful place directly beside the most precious relationship of Adam's life. God says they're joined together. Jesus would later say, what God joins together, let no one separate. And we see in Genesis 2 this powerful plan of God. 
this relationship he builds, not only as a gift, but as a reflection of who he is and the unity that he has in the Godhead. From the very beginning, God had an intention to unite man and wife. God didn't see any need for, for women's lib or, or chauvinism. The Bible clearly places the woman on a high platform, a position of honor and glory. And he lifts marriage up to be this cherished relationship Adam has. He walks with God and he's united with Eve. Man, there is this beautiful dichotomy in his relationship. Now when we have that, let's go back to Malachi. Because here's the problem. God establishes marriage at the beginning of the first book of the Old Testament. And now man dishonors it by the last book of the Old Testament. In Genesis, God lifted marriage up as his powerful instrument of his glory and righteousness. But by the end of Genesis, people take advantage of it. And I was thinking this week, do you think we do the same? Do you think we've lost some of the power and majesty, purpose and plan of God in marriage? There was a blog online recently, asked people to finish this statement, marriage is like a. Here's some of the ones I like, some of the responses. Marriage is like a big pot of stew. No matter how tough the meat is when you start, it ends up flavorful and tender. Someone else liked the meat, the marriage is like a Overdone roast. It can be tough chewing at first until you get past the hard parts. Someone else said marriage is like a sleepover with your best friend that never ends. Oh, right? Isn't that nice? Not everyone is so complimentary. Someone said marriage is like taking a bath. After a while, it's not so hot. (laughs) Someone else wrote marriage is a big crock pot without handles. And you always get burned. Another wrote, marriage is like a three-ring circus. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. (laughs) Those of you who aren't married, those of you who are newly married, those of you who have been married forever, do you think it's possible that we've lost the majesty and the power and the glory that God intended for marriage? People of Malachi's day did. Let me show you what God says to them. Malachi, we're in chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Again, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. God begins this way. He says, stop undermining God. Stop undermining me. First point, stop undermining God. Man, this isn't just about marriage. We have to lift marriage up to something more important. Look at what he says, verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously against his brother so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. 
that, that phrase, deal treacherously, means to be unfaithful, to hunger after something that wasn't rightfully yours. To profane something means to defile it, to defecate on it, to treat with utter disrespect, to create an abomination, something that is loathsome and despicable. Man, when we read that, it's like, good heavens, what did they do? I mean, the way God's describing it, you've done the worst thing ever. You've kicked a puppy. Like, you've forgotten Mother's Day. Like, this is the way God is describing this. It is horrible. Like, what did they do? Look at what God says. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Oh, my goodness. What did they do? They disobeyed God in marriage. They disobeyed God. They, they undermined the plan of God in marriage. I mean, do you lift marriage up to that point in your life? The first thing God addresses the failure of his people. It's not their lack of giving. It's not their worship style. It's not their voting record. It's not their political influence. It's their marriage. God looks at the people and says, you blew it. You built something that's despicable and loathsome. You have undermined me. You have dishonored me. You have failed me. How? In your marriage. And in particular, you married the daughter of a foreign god. And again, we're going to have to go back so you understand why that's so important to God. So put your thumb in Malachi Let's flip over to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. My goal today, that if you're married, you view your marriage differently. My goal today is if you're not married and desire to be, that you will view that marriage differently. Marriage is far more than a social contract. Marriage is, full, is so much more than just a, a legal way to live together and share taxes. Marriage is an institution designed by God to reflect his glory in a way that no other institution can do other than his church. Exodus chapter 34. Listen to the word of God. This is as they're going in, right? God's making his covenant to his people. Exodus chapter 34, verse 11. Look what he says. Be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. Behold, surprise, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Verse 12, watch yourself. Be careful that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will be a snare in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altar, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their ashram, for you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. Look at verse 16, and you might take some of his daughters for your sons. His daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. God says, listen, be careful. Don't marry someone of a rival nation. And people try to make it a racial thing. People try to make it a culture thing. It's none of those things. It's a spiritual thing. 
God says, be careful that you're married, marrying someone within the faith. Why? They're going to lead you astray. Be careful. Be careful if you marry someone outside of a relationship with God, they're going to lead you astray. And look, he says it again. Look at what he says in Deuteronomy 7. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. Keep going, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. First part of marriage, you need to understand it's designed to protect and insulate your relationship with God. Look how seriously God takes this. Verse 12, as for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. A term cut off, same word used for circumcision. It's a bloody slicing. It's a painful, precise, and purposed cut the first thing God says to his people. You want to know why life is so hard? You want to see God do a tremendous work in your life and in your home and throughout culture? First thing you need to do, stop undermining God in your marriage. Stop it. We have to raise marriage up to the position that it's supposed to be. Let me give a quick note for those of you who aren't married. Hopefully you haven't checked out yet. Because I want to empower you, ladies. I want to empower you. I want to empower you to do more than just look for a man who loves God. I want to empower you to require it. Don't settle. I mean, God says marriage is this powerful instrument that he's created to be a reflection of his glory and a protection of your soul. Ladies, I want to empower you to not just desire a man who follows God, require it. Gentlemen, same for you. Don't just look for a good lady who agrees that Jesus existed. Look for someone who has a heart for the Lord. Don't just desire a wife who is committed to the Lord. Require it. First thing, if we want to see God do a work in the church, we want to see God do a work in the culture. Man, you think as God's addressing his people, he could have addressed all sorts of things. I can't believe you voted for them. I can't believe you gave to that. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you did that. The one aspect that God addresses his people you want to see God do a great thing? Stop. Stop undermining God in your marriage. Lift it up to position it's supposed to be a reflection of God's glory and a protection for your soul. God continues, though, says, not just stop undermining God in your marriage. Stop undermining God in your divorce as well. God's addressing his people. Stop undermining me in your marriage. You're married in the wrong person. You just turned it into this social contract. Man, you're so focused on defending marriage from all of them. You're not focused 
on investing in marriage for what it is. Stop undermining God in your marriage and in your divorce. Look at verse 13. God says, there's another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your husband, yet you say, for what reason? God, where are you at? God, we're broken. We're hurting here. We feel distant from you. We don't see you doing things in our culture and in our homes. Our churches are suffering. Our pastors are wacko. God, we need revival. And God, you don't show up. You never come. What's going on? Look at what God says. God says, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God says, you want to know why things are so broken? You want to know why worship is so dead? You want to know why I feel so distant? Because of the way, guys, you're treating your wives. The way you were flippantly divorcing them, look at how he describes. You're dealing treacherously. Again, you're unfaithful. You're hungering after something that isn't yours. And look how he describes her. Says she is your companion. That term companion, a partner. The root of this word actually describes the point where two curtains come together perfectly together to form one unit. Man, fellas, this woman, this wife of yours, It's more than your ball and chain. She was your partner, your companion. She completes you. Without her, you're like a curtain without the other half of it. She is your completer. And look, and your wife, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, that term covenant literally means bound to you by God. That says, you want to know why things are so difficult in your life and in your culture? Man, we love to blame everything else, the economy, politics, political parties, whatnot. God says, you really want to know what's going on? You want to see God do a work? Stop undermining God in your marriage. And guys, stop undermining God in your divorce. Here's what was going on in this time. You had these men going through and he, they would see a rival country over here. They'd be enthralled with the mysteriousness of this younger lady. So they would divorce their wife of their youth, the mother of their children as they got older. They would divorce her and marry someone younger. Man, I'm sure glad that doesn't happen in our time. You know, cultural trends, you know who's the fastest growing offender in this? It's not the husbands leaving their wives for a younger person. It's the wives leaving their husband for a younger person. And God says, you want to know why things aren't going so well? You want to know why church is empty, why worship is listless? You, want, you wonder why God seems to be absent and hesitant to where God isn't doing this revival work, God says, stop undermining me in your marriages and stop undermining me through your divorces. 
Verse 15, look at how God describes it. No one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. What did that one do while he was seeking godly offspring? Take heed, wake up, pull your head out of the sand, then to your spirit let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord. Man, that would be a sermon series someday. All the things in Scripture that God says, I hate it. There's not many of it. Man, I hate it. I loathe it. It makes me sick to my stomach. God says, I hate divorce. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, take heed, wake up, pull your head out of the sand. Don't do it. And again, the context, don't just throw your wife or your husband aside. Stop undermining marriage. You want to see God do a work? Lift marriage up to the position it was intended to be way back in Genesis. Man, is it possible that somehow in our culture, in our mind, even in the church, marriage is something that we just toss aside when we're tired of it? And if so, God says, now, you're, now you know why there's a lack of power in your home and in your culture. God says, don't even claim to be someone who is honoring God if you throw away the spouse of your youth. You don't get to claim Jesus and do that. God says, I hate it when you do that. Stop undermining me through your marriages. Stop undermining me through your divorces. God's addressing his people. You want to see God do a work. You want to see revival happen within culture. Take your eyes off them and put your eyes on yourself. Lift marriage up to where it should be. So now you're thinking, well, Brian, how does that apply to us? What do we do? I think the Apostle Paul wrote a letter that addresses that. So I see God's message to us. In addition to stop undermining God through your marriage and divorce, the message is to start imitating God in it. Stop undermining the plan of God that he established in Genesis 2 and start imitating the plan of God. There's two institutions to, that can serve as a reflection of God's glory. A great church and a great marriage. And you know, there's nothing more blessed and powerful than a great church. I believe that. And if you've ever been wounded by a church, there's nothing more painful than a corrupt church. Same is true in marriage. I mean, you get a good marriage where two people are reflecting God and striving to build something together that's a reflection of his power and his glory. I got to tell you, there is nothing greater and more blessed than it. But there's nothing that cuts deeper than a painful and broken marriage. What can we do as a church? You want something that we can do that can reflect God's glory 
second, in a way that's second only to the church. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Imitate God in your marriage. I love how Paul sets up Ephesians 5. Ephesians in the New Testament, flip to the other side of your Bible, book of Ephesians 5, verse 1. I love how Paul starts it. Ephesians 5, verse 1 says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God. Walk in the pattern that he has set for you. Walk in the manner of which he does it. It's like a pattern. You're just cutting along the dotted lines. Be imitators of God, a mirror reflection. Everything he does you do. And that's a setting for what Paul talks about marriage. Be imitators of God. And he gives a number of ways to do it in life. And then he addresses marriage, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, fall in line with your husbands as a way of reflecting Christ to him and to others. Submit. And don't make everything such a fight. That's what Paul's saying. Wives, be subject. Wives, get in line. And by the way, I want you to know, he says, listen, as to the Lord, Jesus isn't asking you to do something he didn't do. You know that. Jesus submits to God the Father all the time. You know that. For the glory of his Father, Jesus left heaven. Jesus was in Gethsemane. Remember that? Right before he was betrayed, he's sweating blood in angst. He goes to the Lord and he says, hey, if there's any way to do your plan that doesn't involve me getting beaten to a bloody pulp and killed by the most horrific manner known to man at that time, Jesus says, I'm in, God. If there's any other way to do it, that's great. But then how did he finish his prayer? You remember? Not my will. God, your will be done. God, I submit to you. You ever wonder why submission is so important? It models what Jesus does all the time. Let's go on, fellas, just in case you feel left out, the Apostle Paul addresses you, Ephesians 5. Verse 25, he says this, husbands, love your wives. The term love, agape, describes the way that God loves us. Patient, kind, isn't jealous, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, never fails. Husbands, love your wives, look at this, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember what that means? Jesus who left heaven is something that was glorious in everything he deserved, but he put it aside to take on the form of his own creation, this lowly position as a man, so he can suffer and die and pay the consequences of everyone's sin and not require anything from us, but just give us an opportunity to receive it if we desire. Husbands, love your wives that way. When people see your life, fellas, and they see your marriage, and they see how you sacrifice yourself for your wife, 
and then they hear something about Jesus, they ought to be able to make that connection. Oh, I get it. Husbands, love your love your wives to the position that it reflects the sacrificial love of Jesus. I want to tell you, that extends beyond doing the dishes and vacuuming floors every now and then. You want to see, if we want to see God do a work, number one, we got to stop allowing people to undermine God in their marriage. And instead, we need to start imitating God in ours. I love how Paul summarizes everything up. Galatians chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Look how he summarizes it. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respect her husband. I want to make sure. See, God, as he now turns his attention to the people. And remember the context of Malachi. They're coming to the Lord because they're disenfranchised with life. Man, we expected better from you, God. Here we're in the promised land and there's no milk, there's no honey. Our economy's tanking. Our families are eroding. Our children's are leaving. And we keep coming to you, God, and praying for revival, for renewal, for you to do something in our midst. And God, you're not doing it. We're living in kooky California and it just feels like, God, you've abandoned us. God's turning his eyes towards his people and says, hey, don't forget, I've always loved you. But have you returned and loved me? People ask, well, God, what do you want us to do? We show up at church. We put money in the box. God says, I don't care about that. I want your marriage. I want you to honor it and lift it up and empower it and model it and put it on a pedestal for everyone to see it because it's one of two institutions designed by God to be a reflection of his power. And you know why I love to celebrate marriages that are 40, 50, 60 years? We have marriages at our church. They've been faithfully married for more than 60 years. Now, what, a, what a tremendous testimony of the faithfulness of God. We've had marriages that have been broken up by infidelity, abuse, and all sorts of things that God has brought back together in a more glorious fashion than ever before? Man, why does God do that? Because marriage is one of two institutions designed by God to reflect his glory. His power is unity. God addresses his people in the Old Testament and I think God would address his people in the in our day in the same way. You want to see God do a work. You want to see God transform lives, restore culture, revive churches. Don't start it with politics. 
Don't start it with a giving campaign. Start it in your marriage. Young people, young adults, you spend so much of your life preparing for the future. You go to school, college, get a degree, send out applications. You work hard for 20 years to put yourself in a position to glorify God in the midst of culture. You can get an Ivy League education and you can be involved as a president of a Fortune 500 company, but the influence you have through your marriage will be even greater. And don't settle. Lift marriage up to the position it should be. A provision of God to protect your soul and a reflection of God to all who see it. My question for you then, maybe you need to stop undermining God. I don't know where you're at. But maybe you need to see your marriage differently. Maybe it's time to reconcile Maybe it's time to restore. Maybe it's time to repent. Where do you need to stop undermining God? And where do you need to start imitating God in your home? Let's pray. Jesus is a church. Many of us are here on this Mother's Day because we believe in your power. God, many of us are here because we believe that you created everything with a spoken word, that you are an authority over all things and you hold everything in the palm of your hand. God, we believe that you desire a relationship with us and God, we're here because we believe you desire to do things, not just in our lives, but through our lives. And God, we confess that we sometimes gaze up to heaven and wonder where you are. We're wanting you to do things all around us instead of in us. So God, I invite you to come into our marriages today. God, may you revive them. And may you restore what's broken. May you revive what's lifeless. May you renew what's hopeless. God, may you strengthen us in our homes. God, for the wives and mothers who are here, may you empower them. May you equip them and empower them that they might be a reflection of your glory way in their homes. God, for husbands, we pray the same. God, will you equip them and empower them? Will you model your love through them? God, for those who are not married, who desire to be, God, I pray. 
you provide a partner for them? A companion, a completer. God, may you give them eyes to see what you are doing. God, may you give them a heart that desires what you desire. God, in their future marriage, may you protect their soul through it. And may you empower their ministry as a part of it. God, we do desire you to do a work in our culture and in our church and in our homes. And God, we invite you to start it in our marriages even today. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.